We would like to overlook the difficulty of daily repentance and death to our sins in the interest of progressing to a more advanced spirituality. Rebecca Curtis from her new audiobook, Ladylike Living Biblically. Somehow, spiritual advancement always amounts to our getting to spend more time on the things we like and calling it stewardship or service. You can purchase and download an audio version of Ladylike Living Biblically at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Ladylike Living Biblically by Rebecca Curtis and Rose Adel. We are on the side of science. We want to have the full and complete and honest and forthright description of prenatal human beings to be the one that gets out there. We want to call out the gaslighting, anti-science, dishonest approach. For liberal democracy to work, it requires self-government. And for people to be self-governed, they have to have virtue. And virtue in a kind of a classical tradition and understood even at our founding, the source of virtue was found in religion. But when we open our eyes in death, we will see Jesus. And on that face is a smile, not a scowl. When we close our eyes in death, we will open them and our ears will be filled with the hymns of the angels. A lot of Christians talk about worship as us serving God, but the Lutheran emphasis is that God serves us through his word, through the sacrament. This is Will from Michigan, and I'm a Lutheran high school teacher and football coach, and I love beginning my day listening to Issues Etc. All right, guys, let's go. Having raised a daughter, I can remember, now it's all hindsight and it's all rose-colored glasses now at my age, but I can remember a little bit of how difficult it was, and that was back in the 1990s and early aughts. And so much has changed and so much has become, well, more difficult to protect a young girl in the world today. Everywhere in the culture, she's being fed lie after lie after lie about herself, about her world, about biology. So how do you raise a daughter safely and how do you raise a daughter to have some real values in a world that is, well, catechizing her every day on a different set of values? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon. It's November the 4th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking about the book How to Raise a Conservative Daughter by Michelle East and Rebecca Curtis will join us. We're going to spend some time with Dr. Ingrid Skop. She is Director of Medical Affairs for the Charlotte Lozier Institute. National Public Radio yesterday ran a story featuring the recording of an abortion. We'll get her reaction to it. We'll discuss spiritual warfare with Dr. John Ferguson, spending some time getting a proper biblical definition. There are a lot of unbiblical ones out there. And then we will review the TV series Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power with Pastor Ted Geese. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Joining us to discuss the book How to Raise a Conservative Daughter by Michelle Easton, Rebecca Curtis, a pastor's wife and mother of eight children. She has a master's degree from Concordia Seminary, co-author of the book Lady Like Living Biblically, and author of a recent column for the American Reformer titled, What Do Women Really Want? Rebecca, welcome back. Hello, thank you. So why does a book on raising conservative daughters have appeal today? What you mentioned in your own experience raising a daughter is it's complicated, and 
that it has gotten more complicated precipitously in the last even couple of decades. And it's no secret that young women are much more susceptible to culture's worst current ideas. Young women are measurably more leftist in their views, and it seems to not necessarily reflect the houses where they grew up to a greater extent than this happens to young men. And parents are rightly concerned about this. They say, well, you know, what are we supposed to do? How do we keep this from happening to our daughter? How do we help her to feel that the values with which we've raised her are the ones she wants to keep and the ones where she herself is most valued for her greatest gifts? And when we look around us, we don't see we don't see that happening. We see young women falling away from conservative ideas, and we don't know what to do about it. So this book definitely, I think, has a natural readership. I was drawn to it myself. And I should say, I saw it positively reviewed at University Bookman a few months ago. That's run by the Russell Kirk Center. So that's a conservative organization. And the title caught my attention. I thought, I know a ton of people who would be interested in this book. I want to read it and see what it says. And to be honest, the only thing I don't like about it is the title. Because the book is about raising a daughter who gives her life to conservatism, Inc., not so much who lives a life that is ordered on conservative values. So if a pair of parents wants their daughter to become a policy wonk, to run for office, to appear in conservative media, to be a, a right-wing journalist, definitely this is the book you want to read for how to do that. But I don't know that just calling it How to Raise a Conservative Daughter is going to attract that readership. I think the readership it does attract will not find its questions answered in this book. So what is missing from this book? I think that a lot of the things that the author says are useful information, but I think it's the things that people are already doing if this is a concern for them. So there's advice to go to church, to be careful about what your kids are hearing in school, to be aware of that, and to be willing to uh, look for school alternatives if the public schools in an area are problematic, which, of course, so many of them are. Teaching the value of work, teaching to handle money, teaching to have these practical skills from a conservative perspective. But I think that's already going on in most conservative households. And it doesn't deal with the problem of the fact that a girl can grow up in a house like this and still come away from college with her hair blue and her all kinds of external marks of internal beliefs that don't value the things that a conservative family values. So how does the author, Michelle Easton, how does she attempt to resolve the career mom versus homemaker debate? To be honest, I found her, she only addresses it briefly. She kind of gives it a few paragraphs in one of her chapters, and I, I really found it fairly dismissive. She says, look, I know that conservatives value family, and for a lot of them, that means that you're kind of a career mom. You have kids, you stay home with them, maybe you even homeschool them. And that's fine. She says there's nothing wrong with that. There, There's a lot of good in that. But she doesn't like it to be butting heads with kind of the conservative career woman who, again, is doing these public policy or right-wing journalism or 
wonkier jobs that's pretty much just being on Team GOP full-time and as a career. And she wants that dichotomy to go away, but I don't think it can go away within conservatism. It's a real point of conflict. That's why there are ongoing arguments about this online and in families, and people really struggle to deal with it. What's more conservative, to be a woman in Congress or to have kids and stay home with them and be engaged in their education in a very active way and to be present in their lives in a way that you can't if you have this high-powered conservative career. You said that, like they can't if they want to pursue a high-powered conservative career. Does she concede that there is a conflict there, that you can't have it all at once? I think she tries to split the difference on this, and I didn't find it persuasive, just myself as a reader. And she gives herself as an example and says, you know, she she was, you know, she has children herself. She was cared about them, obviously. Her view is that in having a very demanding, high power public career that directly pertained to conservative policy efforts in this country, you know, she made a better world for them. And I think that, again, that is the debate. Do you make a better world for your kids or do you make a better house for your kids? And I think the conservative position, truly conservative position, is that if you make a better house for your kids, you are making a better world for them. So you say that this book fights for policies that leftists use to encourage. What do you mean by that? Again, it's the same debate. It's the idea that is it better for women to, it began as women should have access to public careers and to paid employment to the exact same extent that men do with no penalties for the motherhood penalty, the fact that women take time off when they have children and that they then don't accrue the experience or hours or advances for someone who never takes time out of the workforce. It's just viewed as this unqualified good that women be in the workforce full time. And I think that's just begging the question, what is good about that? It presumes that public employment is better than volunteering, than working at home, than seeing service to the family as a full-time vocation. It's not a career, but it will take up all your time. It certainly can if you make yourself available for it. And so it just, I, f- I think that the view that the book espouses just ends up going around in circles and not answering the question that conservative parents come to the book holding in their minds. What becomes of the daughter's actual interests in this author's view? This, I think, is far more relevant. Everything we've said so far is kind of philosophical, and we can argue it for hours and years and decades and centuries even. But what you just said, what does this have to do with daughter's interests? That's where the rubber really hits the road, I think. I am privileged to spend time with a lot of young people since I have a lot of kids in my house. Um, I can't help having other kids show up at my house. I get to work at the schools, grade school and high school, where I, I have children as students. So I spend a lot of time with middle school and high school girls. And let me tell you, they are not interested in public policy. They do not want to study political science. 
these are not natural interests that they have. And when I hear things like this, that we got to get women into these conservative careers and we got to have female faces and equal number to male faces that we see on the conservative news media. And we want more girls with blue checks voting red and all of this stuff. To me, it has the same look as little girls shirts in Target that say, I love math, future physicist. It's just forcing this taste and interest on girls that they don't naturally have. Some of them do. You know, there are a few girls who get interested in that normally and pursue it on their own motivation. And, you know, that's a completely separate question. But this idea that the way you raise a conservative daughter is by getting her onto Team GOP and having this dominate her thoughts and be the main thing she cares about and the framework for her approach to life, I think is truly artificial. What does a true conservative daughter look like? This is, it's very easy to say, this book doesn't answer the questions we have and to just be critical, but that's committing the same error. So if you want to, if you're really concerned about this question, how do I help my daughter adopt a worldview that is consonant with conservative values? And ultimately, of course, you know, there's no point in being a conservative unless you have a real reason for it. And the real reason is that um, conservative values align with those of the church and those are ordered on scripture. This is all, all of these things are tied up together. Otherwise we wouldn't have to care. And again, I, I want to distinguish between conservative and the Republican Party or the GOP. So to be honest in dealing with this question, we, we do have to say, what does it mean to be a conservative daughter? I think it means that you listen to the voice of tradition, not because tradition in itself is good, but because the wisdom of the ages is contained there. And that is how you keep the fourth commandment. You honor your father and your mother, not just your immediate ones. Hopefully they're rolled into the, <laughs> the whole package, but your grandparents, your very, very great grandparents. And you don't believe that your grandfather 20 generations back was a misogynist because he wouldn't have thought it was a good idea for women to vote. Do you want to believe that your grandmother 20 generations back was a miserable pile of goo who couldn't think for herself if she wanted to because her intellect had been pounded out of her. She had no capacity for analysis or joy or agency. That's all just silly. I don't buy that. No one should. It's a lie. So that's one thing. Other things that I think make for growing in conservative views and values are cultivating the gifts that are natural to women and the interests that are natural to women, not training them away from that. What a terrible thing to do. Not telling a little girl, put that doll down. You like math. Not telling a little girl, quit playing with that cooking set, you like the Republican Party. That's just nonsense. Not telling girls that you study these things in school so you get a good job, but telling them, we study these things because they're what every well-rounded person knows in order to serve their neighbor better in whatever capacity that you have for that. And yeah, that might be, you know, a job, 
but it's also just the neighborhood you live, the house where you live, the people God has put around you, whether you're paid for it or not. If you have children, it's your your joy and your duty to serve them. And for women especially, this means cultivating traits like flexibility, agreeableness, willingness to accommodate people and help them in the way that they need to be helped, being trained to perceive that and respond to it, being generous and being very opposed to this idea that you look out for yourself, you stand up for your rights, that you're thinking about your duties and the needs of others before you're thinking about your own. Rebecca Curtis is a pastor's wife and mother of eight children. She has a master's degree from Concordia Seminary. She's co-author of the book Ladylike, Living Biblically, and author of a recent column for the American Reformer titled, What Do Women Really Want? You'll find a link to this column and to Ladylike, Living Biblically, at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ladylike is available in print, ebook, and audiobook formats. Rebecca, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. We're going to spend some time with Dr. Ingrid Skop after the break. She's Director of Medical Affairs at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. National Public Radio ran a story yesterday with audio of an actual abortion. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move farther into St. Luke, we cover the Benedictus Part 2, Nativity of Jesus, Shepherds and Angels, Visit of the Shepherds, Circumcision and Presentation. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. What is eternal life? How do you understand it? How do you imagine it? We're full of all sorts of ideas of what eternal life might be like. And yet, the scriptures are clear. Eternal life centers on Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. The November issue of the Lutheran Witness explains some of these misconceptions about eternal life and what the scriptures say. So to learn more, pick up your copy of the November issue of the Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, teaching you to interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 11.30 Sunday morning until 5.30 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry Out Sausage Supper, 11.30 a.m. through 5.30 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois. 